Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Before we pass our baskets, um, I do uh, need to um, share something that, that, that we don't talk about a whole lot, you know, so if you're new with us, uh, don't, don't think that we talk about this all the time. In fact, um, we don't probably talk about it enough, um, but before we pass our baskets, I do want to bring, every, and I'm going to leave this up here if anybody wants to take a look at it, but we want to, before we end our time here at Western, which is, we've got three more Sundays, including today, we want to make sure that all of our rent and all of our fees, all of our things for using this school is completely paid off. Summer is, you know, it's summer, no matter what church you're part of, giving, you know, struggles sometimes during the summer. And so um, we have a pretty substantial need by the end of July to have everything paid off, not just rent, but, you know, payroll, et cetera, for, for, Janu- for, for July. Um, in fact, I shared this need with um, James Barron, we guys, a friend of our ministry here, and he uh, pledged to send several thousand dollars to help um, and so even with that pledging of some money from James down in Orlando, um, by the end of July, we need to make sure that in our offering baskets, we collect another $6,000 in order to have everything paid off for moving over to, West, uh, to Henley. Now, that doesn't mean that if we don't get that, that we you know, aren't able to move and all that sort of stuff, but I just want us to be done with our time here so that when we start our new rental contract and our new month in August, you know, we're, we're able to move over there without having to worry about the rental over here. Now, again, that doesn't include, that's not all rental. It's all of the various things from payroll, et cetera, uh, supplies that we've purchased. But if you are interested in helping with that, our giving a life journey is completely based on what you want to give. Some churches believe that, that the Old Testament law of the tithe applies to the New Covenant Church. And we say, as soon as you start adding in law, including tithe, where are you going to stop? And so we believe it's Jesus plus nothing. So we don't teach the tithe. We just teach what is God inspiring your heart to give. And if that's a couple bucks, it's a couple bucks. If it's a lot of bucks, it's a lot of bucks. Whatever the Lord is inspiring you to give, that's what we give. And so we have three more offerings between now and the end of the month to really try to take a big chunk into this. And I'll update you as we go. But we'll go ahead and pass our baskets. If you are inspired, please feel free to uh, contribute towards this. If you are not inspired and you feel like it's guilt and, con- and, 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 and you know, whatever, please don't. Please follow the Spirit's lead in you. So if we take our baskets and pass them through, we will. And if you're a guest with us, I promise we don't talk about this very often. And so uh, put your little uh, guest card, if you, if you have that, you can put that into the basket. You can also give online. You don't have to give into the baskets. Uh, but if the Lord's inspiring you to participate by financially contributing, we are um, in a 
spot where we're happy to receive, if you will. All right, well, let's continue on with, uh, now that the business meeting's over, right, you know, um, let's continue on into what we're, we're here for, right? Well, we're here to contribute as well, but we're here to uh, check out uh, this answer to this question of what is the church? As we've been talking about, we are just three weeks away from ending our time here at, at Western, heading across the street to really experiment with some really cool things to be what the church is, to do what the church is. Um, you know, we're going to, we've talked about this some, but we, we're going to experiment with some different ways for the body to connect better with the body. Um, when David spoke a couple of week, months ago now, it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. David said when he spoke, he said, you know, I've been coming for nine months, and I know I don't really know much of you, but um, I'm, here to, I'm here to, you know, speak. And I'm like, wow, the guy's come for nine months, and and, and, and the testimony is he doesn't really know many. I mean, we're not a huge body, so what's, what's the deal? Could the church at Ephesus say, hey, I've been here for nine months at the church of Ephesus, but I don't really know anybody? And, and I just think, you know, that's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And that's the way we've organized it. That's the way we all have grown up with this idea of coming in, sitting in rows, and then kind of uh, leaving, you know, after things are done. But I just think that the body of Christ ought to be much more interconnected than that. Well, what does interconnected mean? Does it mean that we get into little twosies and threesies and like share our deepest, darkest secrets every single Sunday morning? No, that's not it at all. I mean, if that's what you want to do, I mean, feel free. But that's, I don't want to run people off thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to be now sharing our deepest, darkest secrets every Sunday morning with somebody. That's, that's not the idea. The idea is just to get to know people as you want to get to know them and fostering that opportunity to do so. And so one of the ideas that we're working on, and we've got to nail it down this week, is we're, we're uh, working with an, an, an experiment to where on Sunday mornings, before the 10 o'clock you know, worship service starts, for us as a body to get to know each other over breakfast at 9.15 at Henley. And so we'll come in at 9.15, we'll have breakfast, we'll have tables set up, and we'll sit around the tables, get to know each other, feed ourselves, feed our kids, get to know each other. And at 10 o'clock, Craig, Craig and the group will come up and we'll say, hey, let's start singing. And so it'll be a natural transition from breakfast into some singing and then into some teaching and then continued fellowship as we head our merry way towards the end of the morning. And so it's totally opt-in. It'll be RSVP, so we know how many to prepare for. It'll pay for itself, so there'll be a fee, you know, $5 a plate, whatever it ends up being. We've got to work out all those details, but the goal is not just to have breakfast. The goal is for us to connect better. I want to get to know John better. And if you know John, you're like, probably, why do you want to get to know John better? No, but I really do. I want to get to know. You want to get to know. And maybe you don't want to get to know. You could come and sit and eat breakfast all by yourself. I mean, that's fine. Or you can just come in at 10 o'clock. Maybe you don't want to do that. That's fine. But we want to create an opportunity. You say, well, I can't afford, you know, $3 a, a, a Sunday to, or whatever it ends up being. We don't know the cost yet. Well, just bring your Wheaties. Bring, bring your milkshake. You know, just come. The idea is to connect. Does that make sense? So we're going to work on that. As we get a little closer, we'll have better communication. We've got to work out the details, but it's going to be like an RSVP every single week so that by like Friday, we let uh, Mountainside know how much to prepare for so that they bring the food in on Sunday morning and it's all, you know, ready to go. And so we'll have to figure it out. It's an experiment. You know what happens with experiments? You have to kind of change things. You have to figure it out. It's an experiment. But we really want um, to get to know each other better. 
A church that doesn't know each other is not a church. It's just a bunch of individuals. And so that's why we've been walking through Ephesians asking the question, what is the church? And by the time we got to chapter 4, you know, it's just dripping with community. It's just dripping with each one doing their part of edifying one another so that we come to this common place of believing what Jesus really has done and what he's done for us, and who we are now in him. We're going to start chapter 5 today. So I'm not going to take time to review chapter 1 through 4, but if you missed some of it, I encourage you to check out the podcast and, uh, and be encouraged and edified, hopefully, through it. So we're asking the question, what is the church? And we're answering it with the church is, and then a bunch of answers. Today, there's going to be five answers of what is the church. So we're, we're not you know, exhaustively going through Ephesians. There's a lot of meat in Ephesians that we're not touching, okay? Because we just don't, we're not focused on going through it verse by verse in that fashion. We have before, and I'm sure we will again. We're just trying to get our minds wrapped around the concept of what is the church because we've been doing this Many of us for our whole lives. I've been going to church nine months before I was even born. And, you know, sometimes we don't, we, we come to the conclusions of what the church is based on our experiences and, and our, our, you know, um, approach rather than what the scriptures actually teach the church is. So we're going to pick up in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, okay. We've got to figure out what the therefore is there for, right? Okay, so therefore, he just said in chapter 4 that we learned the following from Christ. We learned that when we are converted, when we're saved, the old man is taken off and a new man is put on. We're, we learn that we're actually made new. There's a spiritual heart surgery that takes place. The old heart is cut out and crucified with Christ, and a brand new heart is given. And then the rest of our lives is the period of the 80-year plan for me of of continuous renewal of the mind to actually believe and actually live as if I truly am the new man. See, it's very tempting for us to think that we're still the old man because we still have the old man's thoughts, the old man's desires are in us in the, in, in the sense of, of sin that lives in our flesh. But we've been given a new heart. That means we've been given a new desire. And, and that's who we now are. Therefore, because you're new, because you actually learn from Jesus how to live by learning from Jesus who you are, therefore, be imitators of God. Okay, imitators of God. Now, th this word imitator, it's loaded. Okay, it's loaded in our culture. The other day I went to um, uh, Walmart, I think it was, where's April? And I picked up some on the list was jello and so i picked up jello and you know i thought you know it'd be a very wise studious thing to do to uh get sugar-free jello you know well no absolutely not no more i know better now no sugar-free jello sugar-free jello it's an it's an Im imitation it's an imposter it says that it has the taste of sugar but it's not the same and so no more sugar-free jello sugar-free jello tries to imitate sugar so what is Paul telling us? Are we, are we to imitate God? That is, are we to look at God and look at who he is and look at what he's done and just try our best to imitate him, try our best to be what he is? Like imitation sugar, what is it called? Uh, Splenda, whatever, yeah. Is that what we're to do? We're not really sugar, you know, but we're trying to be sugar. Is that, is that what Paul's saying? Imitate God? 
You're, you're not really holy. You're not really righteous. You're not really new. But just do your best to try to behave that way. Imitate God. See, that's what we can read in English. Is that the idea that Paul is communing? I mean, he just said that we're new at the core. So is imitation, is that the idea of impersonation? I don't think so at all. In fact, if we keep reading, he says, therefore be imitators of God as what? Beloved what? Children. As beloved children. Listen, you who are parents or you who have ever been a child, it should be all of us, don't leave anybody out. Adam and Eve's not in the room. Uh, well, they had kids. But anyways, um, we all know that the most natural thing for our kids to do is to imitate dad, to imitate mom. Rieslin fell the other day. You saw it on Facebook. She split her head open. And, um, you know, if you've been there as a parent, you know what comes next. You know, just, I don't want to get gross, but I mean just blood galore. And, you know, I don't usually say, oh, my God. You know, I try to say, like, oh, my goodness, that's sort of a deal. Well, when this thing happened and this blood's everywhere, I'm just saying over and over, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then Gwen, who's just kind of minding her own business, she just starts repeating it exactly. Oh, my God, oh, my God. I'm like, oh, let's just say goodness. You know, let's say something else. Let's don't, like, you know, use that word. She's just imitating me. She's just doing what Daddy does. Sometimes we don't even have to set an example They just kind of naturally do what we do because they're our kids. The same DNA that's in us is in them in some sort of way, or at least the same genes. And so here's what I think Paul is saying. The most natural thing for you to do as a child of God is to imitate God, but not as a phony, not as a fake. My child's not trying to be a Davis. They're a Davis looking at Dad Davis and just being like Dad. So our imitation, our call to imitate God is not trying to be something you're not. It's simply See who you are, see who he is, and walk as he does. And it's natural because you're new at the core. It's who you now are. He says, verse 2, walk in love. So it's love that actually is what um, motivates us, what drives us, what produces this imitation. It's the love of him towards us that actually creates the desire and the, the, the ability to even imitate him. He says, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And so how do we imitate God? I, 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 the whole chapter 5 and really into chapter 6, I want us to think about a sponge. You guys know what a sponge is, right? When it's dry, it's kind of, you know, like whatever, what are you going to do with that? But as soon as it starts soaking up water, as soon as it starts becoming wet, then it's useful for all sorts of things like cleaning or, you know, whatever, removing, you know, stuff off the floor. Chapter 5, we need to see this picture of a sponge. You, the sponge, soaking in, receiving the love of God towards you. Not just the love of the Father, but also the love of the Son, Jesus Christ, who also loved you, and he himself gave himself up for you. So how does imitating God start? It starts by receiving his love for you. You say, but you don't know what I've done, man. You don't know what I've said. You don't know what I've thought. You don't know where I've been. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. You say, how could I be loved by God? It's who he is. It's what he does. 
But the Apostle Paul also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that not only does Christ smell good to God, but somebody else smells good to God. Look at this. Is it on the screen? Yeah, it's right there at the bottom. For we are a fragrant of Christ, the fragrant of Christ to God. We, we the church, are the fragrance of Christ to, the, to God. So here's our first, you know, the church is. We've got five of them. Number one, the church is loved by God and smells good to God. How do you think you smell to God? How do you think you smell good? Well, let's see. Last week I did this. A couple days ago I did that. No. You smell good to God because Christ smells good to God. You know, smell is one of the greatest uh, um, senses that we have. If you went to high school here, I bet you every time you walk in here, it probably smells the exact same way it did when you went to school here. And so all of a sudden, you're flashback to high school. You know, it was back in the 90s, you know, back in the 80s, maybe like a mullet or something. I don't know. That was for you to, you know, to live through. But it probably flashes you back to what life was like when you smelt those smells last. You can smell a, a cologne or a perfume, and you go all the way back to like, you know, middle school girlfriend or something. It's just crazy how smells work. Well, listen, you, Christ smells good to God. His sacrifice smells good to God. And because that sacrifice was for us, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 2, we now smell good to him. So how do you smell to God? The church is loved by God, and the church, because of Jesus, smells good to God. Let's go on to verse 3. We've got four more of these. We've got to hustle through. But immorality, so you smell good, you're loved by God, imitate God, verse 3, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. Why not? Because that's not who you are anymore. As is proper amongst the saints. I mean, the saints, you're a saint. Saint means holy. You are holy. And so these other things, it doesn't fit you anymore. It's not who you are. Verse 4, there must be no filthiness, no silly talk, no coarse jesting, which are not fitting. But what does fit? giving of thanks. So he's saying, guys, look, this, this stuff that we see in our world, it, it doesn't fit you anymore. Why not? Because you're now a child of God. You're now new. We don't stop these things in order to become God's child. We, we, we don't want these things anymore because we are now a child of God. So what is it that we're to be thankful for? He's basically saying that a thankful attitude corrects or is the antidote for sinful attitudes. A thankful attitude is the antidote for a sinful attitude. So what is it that we have to be thankful for? So Craig was just saying earlier, we have so much to be thankful for in context here that because of Jesus, we now smell good to God, a fragrant aroma because of his sacrifice. What do we have to be thankful for? The fact that the God of the universe, instead of judging us and condemning us, he judged and condemned his own son so that we could have life and forgiveness. We have a lot, quite frankly, 
to be thankful for. So what happens if the church goes about its daily life by being overwhelmed by the love and the forgiveness and, the, and a spirit, having a spirit of, of gratitude and thankfulness towards God, what all of a sudden is no longer the even desires in our hearts and our minds? These things, immorality, impurity, greed, the antidote for sin is thankfulness. It's the revelation of Christ Jesus and what he's done. Verse 5, for this you know, know with certainty. Now, this is some powerful stuff. Some people will just go straight to these verses and pull them out and do some weird things with them. That's why we like to look at things in context. For this you will know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater. And I've emphasized, I think in red is, yeah, who is an idolater. He's talking about who, what their nature is. This is who they are. No impure, uh, immoral, covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ within God. Wow. Let no one who deceive you with empty words because of these things. The wrath of God comes among, uh, upon the Son's of disobedience. Whoa, what's going on here? What happened to that whole grace smell good thing? You're now saying that if we did something maybe six years ago, you know, maybe six months ago, heck, six minutes ago, because we did something, now we're no longer fit, now we're no longer compatible with God in his kingdom. I thought just a few verses ago we were reading that we smelled good to God because of Jesus smelling good to God. Now because our neighbor comes home with a full cab, full extended cab, you know, Toyota Tundra that we want as our own, and we're coveting it, and we want it. Now, all of a sudden, I've got the wrath of God coming against me. Yes, I want a Toyota full extended. but let's... Let's think about this for a second. Is it our behavior that disqualifies us from the kingdom? Is it our behavior In other words, is doing good what qualifies someone from being in the kingdom of God? If we are believers in Christ, we'd have to say, no, it's not what you do. Conversely, if it's not what I do that gets me into the kingdom, is is there something I could do negatively or poorly, sinfully, that could ever exclude me from the kingdom? To which, as we are reading Paul saying we're forgiven, he just said in Ephesians 4, just a few verses ago, 32, that we've been forgiven of all of our sin. So can something we do sinful ever exclude us from the kingdom? Well, the answer is no. So what is he saying here? And that's why I emphasized, oh, it's on the verse before, who is an idolater? He's not talking about things that we do He's talking about things that we are. So the question is, is a born-again believer who has died to this world, died to sin, died to Adam, and now been born of God, is a saint by nature a sinner? And the answer is no. By nature, we are now holy. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 1, don't take my word for it, says that we have become partakers of the divine what? Nature. That's our nature. Sin, yes, still lives in our members, but we don't have a sinful nature and a 
godly nature. We have one nature, and it is of Christ, if you're a born-again believer. Sin still lives in the flesh. There is the power of sin, yes, that manifests itself, yes, but that's not our nature. Nature speaks of origin, of, 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 of motherhood, of fatherhood. Our mother is now Jerusalem above, Galatians says. And so he's not talking about what we do. He's talking about who we are. No one who is a sinner can enter the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, I'm a Christian, but I've sinned. Yeah, that's called, you know, take a number. Who of us who is a Christian hasn't sinned and probably won't sin even today or maybe even tomorrow? Now, we don't want to. We hate that we do, but it's life. It happens. And so what is it that disqualifies us? Is it what we do or is it who we are? And that's the whole point of the new covenant, the new creation, so that the old man in Adam, the whole Adamic race, is crucified with Christ so that a brand new creation, a brand new race, is actually created. Think about it. What is behavior that God disapproves of? What is it called? starts with an S. Sin, Right? And what did Jesus take away at the cross? Sin. I'm not the greatest mathematician in the world, but I can do that equation. So it's not our sinning, it's not the things we do that disqualify us. It's who we are. And if our behavior disqualifies us from God, then Jesus' death didn't work. I'm going to say that again because that's huge. If our behavior, if our sinful behavior disqualifies us from God, then Jesus' death did not work. If Jesus' death did not work, then what was that whole sweet-smelling aroma thing that Paul just wrote about in in verse 2? His blood worked, we're forgiven, but you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying, Paul says this same thing, in a different way, over in First Corinthians, and if you if you remember anything about the Corinthians, I mean they're wicked. I mean they are they got some major wickedness going on in the church. Listen to what he says to them. He says, "Do you not know that the unrighteous? So are you righteous or unrighteous? If you're a believer, you're righteous. So he says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the fornicator, nor idolater, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. To which, if we're not careful, we read that and we think, oh my goodness, I had this thought. Oh my goodness, I I have a same-sex attraction. Or, oh my goodness, I have this. Or, oh my goodness, I wanted that Toyota Tundra. Oh my goodness, I'm not fit. Now, listen to what he says. He says, verse 11, talking to the believers, such were some of you. Everybody say were. Were. Still, say it again. Were. Were. That's a good word. Such were some of you. So you were those things. But you, anybody from like Tennessee, you know, I, have, I don't pull in a whole lot of Tennessee, but you ain't that no more. I don't pull that out very often, right? But you're not. You were. You were what? Washed in the blood of Christ. And is that able to wash away all of that sin? You better believe it. You were sanctified. Wow. You mean I'm not slowly over a lifetime becoming sanctified? No. You were sanctified, and you were 
justified, meaning the legal declaration of God himself says you are guiltless. So that's who you are. So number, what are we on? Two. First, the church is loved and smells good to God. Number two, the church is washed, sanctified, and justified. And if you are not washed, sanctified, and justified, then the kingdom of heaven is not for you. So what's the call? To believe. If you are not believing in Jesus for your righteousness, for your okayness with God, you must believe. Verse 7, therefore do not be partakers with them. He's saying, look, don't do what they do. We're back in Ephesians now. Don't do what they do because it's not who you are anymore. And he even says it, you were, there it is again. I should have put that in red. Sorry, you were formerly darkness. Wow, Walt Davis, before Walt Davis began trusting in Jesus, was darkness. That doesn't sit well with a lot of us, does it? You were darkness. I was darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. It's all him. Now, did I do anything to become light? Did I do anything to clean up and become light and remove the darkness? Did I bring anything into me? No, I believed in Jesus. And I went from darkness to light the church. And he says, walk as children of light. I mean, doesn't that make sense? It makes sense to walk as you are. Paul's not saying walk in order to become light. He's not saying walk in order to become like a child of God. He's saying you are a child of God. You are light. So here's an idea. Let's walk as we are. But do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? For the fruit, verse 9, of The light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. What is it that pleases the Lord? I'll give you a hint. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. What is it that pleases the Lord? Anybody? Without blank, it's impossible to please God. Faith. So what is it that pleases the Lord? faith. He's saying, walk as light. I know you don't see yourself as light. I know you see yourself as, you know, in the flesh, still struggling with this thing of sin that lives in your body. I know that's how you see yourself. Because Paul's like, I, I've got flesh too. But pl- try what's pleasing to the Lord. And that's living by faith. Living by faith says, yeah, Okay, in this world, I see the flesh. I see the sin that lives in the flesh. I get the, the wiring, the, 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 the impulses from sin all the time that says that, that this is what it wants to do. I get that. I understand that. But living by faith is to say, you know, I am no longer that. I am now light. I am now a child of God. And though those impulses from sin continue to do what they do, My mind is slowly over a lifetime being renewed to the truth that that's not who I am anymore. I've been washed. I've been sanctified. I've been justified. Do not, verse 11, participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Why should we who are light not participate in the deeds that are darkness? Because we are light. 
I mean, it makes perfect sense. We are light, so therefore don't participate in the deeds of darkness. Instead, even expose them. Show them for what they are. For it is disgraceful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. It's, it, he's talking about vile things. It's not who you are. But all things, verse 11, uh, 13, come visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For, the, for this reason, it says, awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's the invitation for those who are still in darkness. Awake, open your eyes and see that there is one here named Christ, named Jesus, who will take you from this darkness and trans- tra- through death create you now light. Verse 15, this is powerful. Therefore, be careful how you walk. So he's talking about walking, how we live. Be careful how you live, not as unwise. Okay, unwise is to live as dark, though I'm light. That's not wise. That's not fruitful. That's not smart. Don't live as unwise men, but as wise, making the most out of your time because the days of evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We don't have time to have this long discussion on the will of the Lord right now. But in this context, let's just think, what do you think the will of the Lord? What is the desire of the Lord in this context? Maybe it's the desire of the Lord that we see ourselves as who we truly are now. Sons of God. Daughters of God. See ourselves as who we truly are now. Light. No longer darkness. A new man, a new creation. Is it not the desire of the Lord for us, his children, to see ourselves as who he's made us? Why in the world would the desire of God be for us to not see ourselves as he's made us? Why would he make us new and then say, you know what, I don't really want you to see yourself as new? His great desire, I think, in this context is for us to see who we actually are. And to be satisfied by him. You know, over in Philippians chapter 4, Paul talks about how, you know, whether I'm naked or whether I'm well clothed, whether I'm hungry or whether I've got a, you know, a meal in front of me, whether I'm homeless or whether I've got a house, whether I'm poor or whether I've got some money, I've learned the secret of contentment in all of it. The secret, he says, is that I gain my contentment. I gain my satisfaction from Christ and what he's made me. And then verse 13, the famous verse, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all these things. All what things? I can be naked. I can be clothed. I can be uh, hungry. I can be well-fed. I can be, those things don't matter. I can do all of it through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all of it through him who sustains me. He who gives me the strength to make it all happen. What what if the church got to the point where we saw that our ultimate satisfaction is not in the things that this world has to offer, but the church saw that our ultimate satisfaction is Christ, being satisfied in him. Yeah, my life is falling to pieces around me. 
But my contentment is not in my job. It's not even in my family. Those are great things. My contentment is actually in Christ. Number three, the church. The church walks wisely. That is, we, we overcome sin. We live appropriately. We walk wisely when Jesus is seen as our satisfaction. The church walks wisely when Jesus is seen as its satisfaction. So if Jesus is satisfying us, our every longing, then what all of a sudden no longer becomes tempting to us? The things around us, the things of darkness that he's been describing. But if we were to walk as wise men, we are getting our fulfillment, we're getting our satisfaction from Christ. Our last few verses for this morning, verse 18 and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. What does that mean? It's like, you know, you're just going to end up getting in a big old drunken brawl. It's basically the idea. That's not profitable. You're going to hurt somebody yourself. But be filled with the Spirit. Again, I don't have time to go into a long discussion on what this, you know, is, but this is, this is loaded too. If you're from a certain denominational background, this is like the keystone passage. I was listening to a a pastor speak on this one time, and you know he's he's going into all of this discussion. We could talk about it offline if you want to, but and I'm just thinking, what in the world is that? You know, talking about getting thrown down into the aisles, and also, what in the world does that have to do with Ephesians five? So, what is being filled with the Spirit? I told you at the beginning that this whole chapter needs to be seen as us as a sponge. What does it mean for a sponge to be filled? It means the sponge has received, it's absorbed everything, that it, what it's been put into. If you go, wouldn't it be nice, let me say it this way, wouldn't it be nice if the Apostle Paul told us what being filled with the Spirit is? Wouldn't that be really nice if he did that? Because that way we wouldn't have all this crazy teaching of it, you know, about being rolling around in the floor, about saying all these unknown languages. It's, it's all this. Or Wouldn't it be nice if the Apostle Paul just said, hey, this is what it is? Well, he does. Go back a couple of ch- chapters to chapter 3, and Paul describes it. In chapter 3, Starting in verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name, for what he, that he, God, would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. Now catch this, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, what is the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Pause real quick. So he's saying, my prayer is that you would be a sponge soaking up, absorbing the vastness of God's love towards you. Last phrase, This is powerful. That, or so that, here's the purpose, so that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. 
So in chapter 3, he describes what being filled with God, filled with His Spirit is. It's absorbing, receiving, coming to terms with the vastness, the width, the height, the depth, the breadth, the hugeness of God's love towards you. So going back over to verse 18, chapter 5, he says, don't get drunk with wine. It's gonna, that's that's going to cause brawling. That's going to cause things of the darkness. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. Receive the powerful reality of God's love for you. And as you come to terms over a lifetime of how much God loves you, guess what's going to happen? You're strengthened. The inner man is strengthened. That which is in you comes forth through you in the fruit of the Spirit. But it all starts with you, the church, being a sponge. Soaking up. Receiving absorbing what God has for you. Verse 20. Oh, sorry, number four. So the church is loved by Jesus so that it can be filled with Jesus. We're loved by Jesus so that we can receive this love that he has for us so that we can actually be empowered, be controlled, be led by Jesus. Number 20, verse 20. Here's our, here's our last, uh, the church is. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Other translations might say, and submit yourselves one to another out of reverence, out of worship to Christ. So we got to see this context. We're going to stop here. We're going to pick up here next week. Um, because next week he gives us some examples of how this subjecting or submitting ourselves to one another in the church looks like. He talks about marriage. He talks about kids. He talks about uh, slaves and owners, what we'll call it maybe employer-employee. We don't have slaves in our culture, thank goodness. Um, but, But what his point is, is as you receive this amazing, like a sponge, we've got to see a sponge here, as you receive and soak up the love of Christ for you, The church ends up loving itself, the church. Subject yourself to one another. Submit yourself to one another. So number five, the church is loved by Jesus so that the church can love itself. If we're looking, if we're gazing, if we're imitating God as our Father and we're seeing what He's done for us, we're being absorbed by, we're absorbing His love for us, then it's just natural for us to then manifest that love to one another in the form of submission to one another. What does that look like? Well, for Christ, it looked like this. You know, I don't want to really die a crucifixion on on a cross, but for their benefit, I'm willing to suffer so that they are blessed. I think that's a pretty good picture of being subject to someone else, submitting to the needs of someone else. And so here in our family, in our faith, nobody's calling you to die on a cross for this person sitting in the row next to you. At least I'm not, you know. So what can that look like? That could look like giving up some of your time giving up some of your energy, even some of your resources, financial, to benefit and to bless someone else. The church is loved by God so that the church can love the church. Putting the needs of others even above your own needs 
the outflow of Christ. Did Christ not put the needs of others ahead of his own? Of course he did. And so if Christ is living through us, then we are going to begin over a lifetime putting the needs of others ahead of our own. And he's going to flesh this out next week as, again, as he talks about marriage, as he talks about family, as he talks about how we work with our hands. But if we don't see that we're loved, we're not going to see that we can how to love one another. So what is the church? As we've seen all you know, month long, we're going to see a couple, two more Sundays of this. You are the church. You are the church. If you are a born-again believer, you are the church. And so to personalize this a, a little bit better in our few minutes left, you know, you are actually loved by God. You actually smell good to God, whether you took a shower this morning or not, whether you got caught in the flesh this week and did all sorts of sinning. It's not the sinning that makes you stink. It's who you are at the core that makes you stink or makes you smell good. And so if you are the church, then you, if you are a believer in Christ, then you are loved by God to the point where you now, because of Christ, smell good to God. And it's the enemy, therefore, that tries to get into your mind, to, trying to get you to think, oh, you, you, you smell bad, you, you stink, you, you, the nostrils, you're a stench in the nostrils of God. No, it is Christ himself who has saved you and rescued you, and he's turned you. Yeah, you were stench, but now you're a sweet, savory aroma to the Father. And this is who you are. The question, really, what we're dealing with all through Ephesians is, are you going to believe it? Are you going to believe who you are? And then further, not just are you going to believe it, but are you going to walk in it? You know, I was thinking about this this week, and I, and I was thinking about dancing. You know, I'm not really much of a dancer. I know Mary Rose and, and, and others, you know, are really into to dancing and different things, but, you know, I'm not. Um, can you imagine me, you know, trying to cha-cha, you know, like, let's, uh, let's leave that image at home. But imagine somebody, a believer, who is really willing to hear the music of the kingdom of heaven. Think about that. The music of the kingdom of heaven this ballad that is playing saying, you are righteous, you are holy, you are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you are righteous, you're forgiven, you are loved, you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified. The ballad of heaven. You know, it's one thing to hear that and to say, okay, that's cool, but here's what this thought that came into my mind this week. It's a total other thing to start in this world dancing to that ballad of another world. To actually be so willing to live by faith, what pleases God, to actually live in this world holy, righteous, beloved, because we're hearing the music of another world. In this world, we have the great accuser. We have accusations. We have sin. We have death that is all around us. But what if we as a church, you as an individual, us collectively, don't just hear the music of the other world, but start to dance to it? People around us are going to think we're crazy because they don't hear it. They don't, they don't hear you're righteous, you're holy, you're forgiven, you're priceless, you're beloved. Most religion is playing a tune of try your best to become 
righteous. Try your best to become holy. But that's not the gospel. So what if we as a church started to not just hear the music of this kingdom of heaven, but start dancing to it, walking to it in this world. You're washed, sanctified, you're justified. You walk wisely, that is, you walk in victory over these sins when Jesus becomes your satisfaction. You are loved by Jesus so that you can be filled with Jesus, controlled by Jesus, led by Jesus. He loves you so that he can live and love through you. If we want to continuously be led by his Spirit, then we have to continuously be blown away by his love for us. You are loved by Jesus so that you can love each one of you. Again, we're going to look at this in great detail next week, but he loves you so that you could love you all. You know, Jesus said, this is the commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. To which we look at that and we say, whoa, how could we ever do that? <laughs> how could I ever love Braden? And Braden's a cool dude. How could I ever love Braden as much as Jesus loves me? I mean, how do I do that? And here's the deal. We receive. We believe how much he loves us so that his love in us can be manifested to one another. What if that's the type of church we become? A church that just comes to terms with who we are, not by what we've done, but all by the grace of God. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.